Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Good morning, church. Good morning. It's nice to be here uh, on this uh, Palm Sunday, and uh, what a wonderful uh, worship time we had, and, and, uh, and, uh, and, and the congregation here. Praise God for that. I know it's Palm Sunday, the day that we observe the humble entry of our Lord on a donkey as the Prince of Peace. He is heading to Jerusalem to fulfill the purpose for which he came, And he articulated his purpose very clearly in the book of Luke. He says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And church, I want us to understand, but soon he will return. And he's no longer coming back riding a donkey. He will return as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And and on a fiery white charger, that's what the Bible describes It's a horse bringing judgment just as he has promised. He is not returning to speak gracious words, but the words of righteous judgment. Jesus comes to rule with a rod of iron because he is the king of kings and lord of lords. So we are in the period of grace right now, every one of us. The one who walked, came in on a donkey and as a prince of peace before he returns as the king of kings. We are in a period of grace. And, and the apostle John so beautifully wrote in, in John 3.16, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So the question I want to pose today is, who is this Jesus to you? Who is he to you? Do you believe in him, number one? And most of you would say yes. And if so, why do you believe in him? Why? So with that thought, let us get into today's text. So we are on a journey through the book of the Gospel of John, and we have come to the end of the fourth chapter. I was keeping count and I was thinking in the fourth month, we are end of the fourth chapter. It's not bad. It's not bad. We are getting there. We are looking at the last 11 verses and you heard the passage being read, verses 43 to 54. So if you can open your Bibles to John chapter 4. And if you recall church last week, we looked at the, you know, what it takes to be an effective witness for our Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at the Samaritan woman, we looked at the disciples, and we learned that to be an effective witness, first we must be excited about Jesus, second we should be mindful of the harvest, and third we should be directing others to Christ. But in today's passage, we see that after spending two days in, two days in, in the little town of Sychar in, in Samaria, the Lord Jesus is heading to Galilee. I'm not sure how many of you can, you know, zoom in and see this picture. I know it's not very clear. But I wanted to look at the map. I wanted to understand the distance here. 
from Sychar in Samaria to, to, to Cana is about roughly about 80 kilometers. And from Capernaum, we are going to look at that in, in a bit later, it's about 40 kilometers from Cana. So today we pick up from there. That's what we are, we are going to pick up today. So, but before I ask, start this study today in this passage, let me ask you a simple question. Have you ever been in a crisis where you cried out to the Lord and saying that, Lord, if only you could save me from this crisis, I would be faithful to you. I would do this, that, and the other. Picture this, church. You are in an airplane. You are traveling from point A to point B, and, and the pilot announces all of a sudden, he says, ladies and gentlemen, the engines have failed, and we are going down. Please picture that. What would you do at that time? You cry out to the Lord, won't you? And you say, Lord, I am sorry for this crime that I've committed, the sins I've committed. Please forgive me, God. And somehow, help me. Save me. And that moment of time, your entire life will be replayed in the theater of your mind. You'll say, God, I'm sorry. You'll profess a form of faith at that time. Every time they can have it. Trust me. And let's say the Lord miraculously saves you. And you cry out praising God as you had never done before because your life which was, should have been taken away is given back to you. But time passes by and do you still have the same excitement and gratitude to God as you had when the Lord really saved you? You go back to your normal sinful life again. This becomes a historical event. And it's lost its flavor. Maybe you, are a, you or a loved one was facing a serious health problem. You cried out to the Lord and say, God, and promised that if we brought healing, I would follow you, God. Or maybe it was a financial crisis that you are in. God, help me. If you are needing a job, oh, God, help me. Perhaps you are lonely and you're praying for a partner and God provides. Church, listen very carefully. The Lord does not want us to seek Him merely for deliverance from some crisis. Then put Him back on the shelf until such time we need Him again for another crisis. Hear me please. God wants us to go deeper in our faith. To trust and follow Him because of who He is, not because of what He can do to you. The real test of our faith is not how sincere we are in crying out to God in the heat of the trouble, in the heat of the battle. The real test of faith is measured by what we do and the pressure is off. Will we forget God and go back to our old ways or will we go deeper and develop genuine faith in the person of Jesus Christ? Will we repent of our sins, trust in Christ as our Savior, and follow Him as Lord, even after the, our crisis is over? Church, this is the central point in this passage that we heard today. Where Jesus heals the son of a nobleman. 
The lesson for today is this, church. The Lord wants us to move from the shallow faith that solves our crisis. And He wants us to go into a mature faith of eternal life. That's what God wants, to move away from the shallow faith to a saving faith. That's why I gave the title of today's message, From Shallow Faith to Saving Faith. He wants us to believe in Him and follow Him, not because He delivers us from our crisis, but also because He is the only Savior and Lord. So let me make my first observation in our text. Church, listen. It's possible to possess a form of faith, a shallow faith, without truly believing in Jesus. Let me repeat that. It is possible for us to have or possess a form of faith, a shallow faith, without truly believing in Him. Let's dive into the text today. Verses 43 to 45 really gives us the background to the narrative. In verse 43, this is what we see. John writes, now, after the two days he departed from there and went to Galilee. So two days of faithful ministry in the Samaritan village in a city of Sychar, where many Samaritans believed in Jesus. That's what he looked at last time. Now John, Jesus and the disciples headed north into Galilee, and then John adds, verse 44, look at that. Sorry, gone too fast. I want you to get this very clearly. Come along with me, please. He starts by saying, for. Hmm. What does that mean? For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. You know, does this phrase sound familiar to you? We have seen that in the, in the other synoptic gospels, but there it's all about Jesus entering Nazareth. That he, and it talks about the rejection that he would face there, but in this context, John is talking about Jesus going into Galilee. So the big question is, why does he introduce verse 44 with the word for? You don't see much connection here because it's not easy to see how 44 explains 43. There seems to be no connection at all between these two verses. Let's read it again together, then you'll get it. Now, after the two days he departed from there and went to Galilee, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in the country. To understand this well, we need to go back. Church, we saw the very warm reception in Samaria. It's a, not a Jewish county. Jesus heading to his very own people in Galilee now. From the pagans, now he's going into Galilee, where he has his own people. So after experiencing this warm reception in Samaria, Jesus went into Galilee to show that his own people would not receive him. Now that illustrates John 1.11, which we looked at. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. So this rejection was the divine plan. 
So it appears that Jesus went to Galilee to show the divine plan. That's what it appears. That's why John writes, for, and he connects it to this. Please come along with me carefully. So in spite of knowing that he would not be honored in his own country, Jesus went. If this is so, if that is correct, if our understanding is correct, church, we would expect verse 45 to say that he was welcome, or sorry, he was rejected by the Galileans. Didn't we? If that is correct. But what happened really? Let us look at verse 45. Come along with me. I don't want you to get lost. So when Jesus came to Galilee, the Galileans did what? Received him. They did not reject him. Aha. The Galileans received him. They did not reject him. That's my version. Having seen all the things they, he did in Jerusalem at the feast. It's important for us to get that. For they themselves also went to the feast. So why does he say this? How do you explain verse 44 now? For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his country. Church, I want to look at this verse 45 again very carefully and see how John describes Jesus' reception in Galilee. Let's go back again, the same verse. The Galileans received him. When did they receive him? Having seen what? All the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. So this takes us back to chapter 2, 23. We looked at when Jesus was in Jerusalem. Just to refresh your mind, I'm bringing it up again. Now, when he was in Jerusalem, it's chapter 2, verse 23. At the Passover during the feast, many did what? Believed in his name. Why and when did they believe? When they saw the signs which he did. So these Galileans were there in Jerusalem at that time. They have seen Jesus' miracle and they believed in his name. Now they are welcoming him because of that. Do you get it? So what does this say to us about his own people? So many of the Jews at the feast were believing in Jesus only because they saw the signs and miracles that he did. Now, John doesn't stop in chapter 2. We went through that very carefully. He goes on to explain what Jesus thought about these people who believed in him because of the miracles. And we, we studied that in detail last time when I spoke about uh, Nicodemus. See verse 24. Now, verse 23 says that they believed in him because they saw the miracle. In verse 24, Apostle John writes, but Jesus did not what? Commit himself to them. Why? Because he knew all men. And he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he what? Knew what was in man. So church, read the last part carefully. Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. So what does it mean, church? Because Jesus could see that their faith was shallow. He knew all men. To illustrate that fact only, John in his narrative in the chapter 3, he starts by saying, uh, talking about Nicodemus. We looked at that. And how does he introduce Nicodemus? We, we went at length on this. There was a man of the Pharisees called Nicodemus. 
a man. The very Nicodemus who was impressed by the signs of Jesus, what Jesus was doing, he did not understand why Jesus came. The new birth through faith in Jesus as his sin bearer. So his own people believe only when they see signs and wonders. And this further confirms, we are going to look at this passage and I'm going to bring it up again. Jesus says this later on, he says in verse 48, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. It's actually a rebuke. It is not a statement. He's rebuking them. We're going to look at that later. So here Jesus was rebuking the Jewish people because of their superficial reasons for seeking him and believing him. They only sought him when Jesus performed a miracle. So there's a difference in the way the Samaritans believed Jesus and the Jewish people believed Jesus. Look at verse 42 again, please. We looked at last Sunday. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said. There was no miracles performed in Samaria at the well. Please understand that. No miracles whatsoever. So then they said to the woman, these are the Samaritans who came to the Lord, said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. Heard him. Meaning what? Whatever Jesus spoke. His words. And we know that this is indeed the Christ See the conviction that the Samaritans had. We heard he is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. That is the Samaritan faith. That is the saving faith. Do you get it, church? But look at verse 45. So when he came to Galilee, the Galilean received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast. They believed him or they received him because of what they have seen the signs. This faith of the Jewish people in Galilee is a shallow faith. So church, note this, neither the Jewish people nor the royal official recognize and honor Jesus as the Savior of the world. But the Samaritans did. So the Samaritans believed in Jesus without any miracle. They believed in him because of his word. That's what they believed. But the Galileans only sought him because of the signs which he performed. So John wants us to go beyond the shallow Galilean faith. Some of us may still be possessing that church. Which receives Christ because of the miraculous signs. To the saving Samaritan faith. Which was rooted in his words. So he wants the signs that Jesus did to lead us to believe in him for who he is, Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, so that we might have eternal life in his name. So before we go further, let me ask you a question. How about your faith? Is, is it a shallow Galilean faith? Based on what the Lord is doing to you, in your physical world, I mean, God is healing us. God, heal me. I trust you. God, give me a job. I trust you. Give me a life partner. I trust you. Give me a new car, a new job. Oh, is it that 
like the Samaritan faith. God, I am a sinner. Save me. Wretched condition that I am in. What type of faith do we possess? Who is this Jesus to you? Is he a Santa Claus who gives what you want in this world or is he a savior who redeemed you for eternity? That background brings us to the story in verses 46 to 54. Let's read on. So verse 46. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee where he made the water wine and there was a certain noble man whose son was sick at Capernaum. And then verse 47, when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. What do we see here, church? The royal official or the nobleman comes to Jesus with the shallow Galilean faith because he was looking for a miracle. That's why he came. So the, seeing the heart of man, Jesus puts it direct at the noble man. Look at verse 48 we looked at earlier. Then Jesus said to him, now here's noble man coming and his son is dying and he says, God, Jesus, come with me. Jesus stops and he says this, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Jesus actually rebuking this noble man, saying your faith is shallow only based on signs and wonders. But the noble man has no time to discuss this theology at that time. My son is dying. Stop this. Come with me. That's what I would have told Jesus. Come, come, come. My son is dying. Most likely he heard about the water wine miracle and he came all the way from Capernaum to Cana. It's about 40 kilometers. And when he heard about Jesus to Cana, he came running and he wanted Jesus to come to his house to perform the miracle. I want you to place yourself in that nobleman's position there. That's what you would do. I'm sure being a nobleman who would have had lots of money, would have tried every means and ways to heal his son, brought most expensive doctors and taken to the most expensive hospitals if there was one at that time. But nothing worked. Nothing worked. The child is in a critical condition. Only hope is a divine intervention. We see that in the noble man's desperate call. Look at verse 49. The noble man said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. I don't need the theology now. I don't need any doctrine now. Just come with me and heal him. That's what he was saying. Church, there's a lesson for us here. Many times, many times, when you have difficulty, Pastor, can you please pray? Elder, can you please pray for me? Pray for the redemption of this physical bondage that I'm in. And when we, when we come to you and say, you know what, don't worry about the problem here. Let's seek the Lord. You get angry at the elders and the pastors and whoever is praying for you. Because we want the temporal relief for the body and not interested in the permanent relief of our soul. We needed a band-aid to the wound. We don't need antibiotics at that time. We only want to address the symptoms and not the cause. We are people, we need Tylenol for our headaches. Not a radical surgery to remove the tumor. That's why the Lord said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. 
That's the cause. And all these things, that's the symptoms, will be given to you. Go and talk to somebody who is sick. They are going to welcome that. Because we have a shallow faith. We want this problem to be resolved right now. That's what you see in the noble man, but the Lord wanted him to address the cause. Let's read the narrative, verse 50 now. Come along with me carefully. Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. So the man did what? See, see how the change of heart here. Please understand this. Come along with me, you might miss the point. So the man did what? Believed. Jesus has not gone. He said, go, your son lives. And the man believed. Wow. Believed what? What's the next line? The word. Whose word? Jesus' word. The man believed Jesus' word. Now the story is taking a different turn here, church. As you look at this. There is no miracles. There is no signs. Simply Jesus' word. Go. Your son lives. Here's the key phrase here. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. Church, note the phrase, as he believed the word, as he went his way, he came in desperation, he wanted Jesus to go with him. The Lord did not go with him, he only spoke the word, go your way, your son lives. He believed the words of the Lord and he left. He has still not received the healing. He has, not, he has no assurance that the child would be healed. There was no signs for him to trust Jesus other than his word. Yet, he trusted at his word, and he left. Let's read on, verse 51. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, your son lives. As the man was returning home, his slaves come running to him, saying that his son was living. What a relief for that man now. So what did he do now? He wants to find out exactly what time he, 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 he was healed. Look at the next verse. 52. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. Verse 53. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his old household. Wow. What a story. What a story that is. The father came to know that his son had been healed the same hour when Jesus had said to him, your son lived. As a result of that, both, not only himself, his whole household believed. Which takes us to the last verse. Verse 54. John wraps up by saying this again is the second sign Jesus did when he, came, when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. So John is, concludes the story by linking the second miracle or sign to the first one, and both miracles were performed in Cana. Why does he make these connections here? As we compare the first and the second miracle, what do we see? The result of the first sign was that the disciples believed in Jesus. 
Would you say that was a shallow faith or a saving faith, the disciples? It's a savings faith. They're disciples. They were convicted. They knew who Jesus was. Look at the second sign here. That what we just learned today. The result of the second sign was that the royal official and his household believed. Is it a shallow faith or saving faith now? It's a saving faith. Church, that is why Apostle John wrote this gospel. Look at this. Verse, chapter 20, verse 31. But these signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. So in this narrative, we see a noble man in crisis. God often uses crisis in our lives to get us to seek Him in His ways that we never would have done if the crisis had not occurred. I'm sure that every one of you committed your life to the Lord, maybe through some crisis. It happened to me. I'm sure it happened to all of us. But church, note this, that not everyone would seek the Lord in a crisis. There are people who can curse and move away from God. But we should follow this man's example in times of crisis, seeking the Lord when the trouble strikes us. When this noble man sought Jesus in desperation and Jesus made it very clear and we looked at this passage before and unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply not believe. So Jesus knew that this man was not seeking him because he wanted to worship him or follow him for who he is. He wasn't coming as a sinner seeking forgiveness and eternal life. He desperately needed immediate help. So Jesus rebukes him. And that rebuke is not only directed at the nobleman, but also to the others who are watching that, and to you and me today. It was a gracious rebuke intended to help us see his greater need, our greater need. Jesus wanted this man to move from his shallow faith to a genuine saving faith. We should learn, church, that the Lord never rebukes us to hurt us. He'll never do it but always for our good, that we might grow in faith in holiness. But we do notice one thing about this noble man, he trusted God's word. He came for a miracle, but he trusted God's word without seeing any miracle. So when we cry out in, to him in our desperate need, we either must trust him at his word or not. That will determine what type of faith that we have. So what's happening here is that instead Jesus puts this man in a curious dilemma. He said, the man said, come. Jesus said, go. That's what they're seeing here, isn't it? By doing this, Jesus forced the man to believe without a sign. Either he had to doubt the word of God or the one in whom he had placed all his hopes for his son's recovery, or he had to believe him and go. Jesus very skillfully drew this man into a deeper level of faith, a saving faith. Here the man has nothing but Jesus' bare word, go, your son lives. 
You know what we learned from this church? The Lord answered the man's desire to heal his son, not the man's request. His request for the Lord to go. But the Lord answered his desire, what he really wanted in life. God knows what's best for you. So the man had to put aside his expectations of how Jesus would work, but just take him at his word. There was an Old Testament event that we see here. There was a Syrian army captain, most of you know, called Naaman, who had leprosy. And there was a Jewish servant girl who was there, a slave, and he couldn't find a solution to his problem. He was struck with leprosy. So the servant girl is telling Naaman, there is a prophet by the name of Elisha who could cure your leprosy. So in desperation, he got the most expensive gifts. I'm paraphrasing, please. You can read that in 2 Kings chapter 5. So he goes to Elisha and went to Elisha. He expected Elisha to come out of the house like most of us might want the pastors and the elders to do. Come out of the house and stand and call on the name of the Lord or put his arm on him and, and wave over him and to heal him. That's what this Naaman was expecting. But instead, what did Elisha do? He didn't even come out of the house. He sent his servant out to tell this important man, go and wash in the river Jordan. Seven times. And his leprosy would be cured. You know, he was really, really upset. He was angry. Here's the man who was struck with leprosy. He wanted healing him to Elisha. Elisha didn't even come out of the house to see him. Hey, I brought all these gifts for you, man. As a gratitude, just to show you, you know, I really appreciate what you're going to do. You don't want to even come out and look at me. He said, go and wash in River Jordan. He was furious. He refused to do it because he felt that the water in Syria would be far cleaner and better than the River, river Jordan. In rage, he went away and the, and the servant girl said this. My father had the prophet told you to do some great thing. Would you not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean? So the Bible says, Naaman went and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan River and he was cured of his leprosy. Because he believed the word of the prophet and he obeyed and he was healed. Church, Christ's word is as good as his presence. So this royal official believes Christ's word that his son was healed and he demonstrated his faith by starting to go home from Cana to Capernaum. So when the official heard that his son was healed exactly at the time Jesus uttered his word, go, your son lives, at this point, his shallow faith became a saving faith, deeper faith in Christ. His faith has grown from the initial shallow faith when he sought Christ to get him out of a crisis to the stronger saving faith of taking Christ at his word to this mature faith in Jesus for who he is, the Christ, the Son of God. 
and he and his entire household was saved. I want to conclude by what John Calvin says about this. He said, God doesn't often give us immediate answers to our requests, as Jesus did to this man. But even then, we must trust that he has a good reason for his delays and that he waits for our good. We need to trust in Romans 8, 28. I need to trust that in his way, in his timing, he will work all things together for my good, even if I don't see it in my lifetime. So as I conclude this message, church, if you are someone who possesses the shallow Galilean faith, Seeking the Lord when you are only in need. My prayer and my appeal to you is that may you commit to trusting in His Word for the transformation of our soul and our spirit. May we stop asking for Tylenol from God and ask God to perform that radical surgery by transforming us inside out. May your faith be that of a mature saving faith relying solely on the Word of God. If you have believed in Jesus and in your family member you have someone who has not believed Jesus, see what the saving faith of this noble man did to his entire household. Trust that will happen to you. Pray for every unbeliever in your household. Every unbeliever. And live a gospel-transformed life. Let them see the love of Christ in you. Ask the Lord to save your family from their sins. But if you have never trusted, believed in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, church, you are, you are under the sentence of death, eternal separation from God. But just as Christ instantly granted life to this dying boy, he will instantly give you eternal life if you call on his name. You cannot do anything to save yourself, but Christ can. And he will save you if you cry out in faith to him, take Christ at his word. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come now. And we're going to sing a beautiful, beautiful hymn. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. You know what, church? I'm going to ask you to do something that we have not done for a long time. If you feel that you have been struggling and you are in that shallow faith and I want to move from shallow faith to a saving faith. I don't want to be running to Jesus and say, Jesus, come, 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 come. But instead I'm going to say, Jesus, I'm going to trust your word. If that is you and, and you want to just come and say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for the way that I have lived. I want to embrace that saving faith today, just like the noble man. If that is you, I, as we stand and pray, I want you to come to the front and just, just stand here. We'll pray at the end as a family, as a church family.
And we say, God, here we are. I'm just dedicating myself to you. Help me, O oh God. You know, like that father who brought that son, son who was possessed with the, with, the, with the evil spirit. Jesus, I believe, but help, help my unbelief. I believe in my spirit, but in my flesh there is unbelief. Will this ever happen? But let us trust the Lord at his word. Can you stand and let's join singing? And as they are singing, please do not feel shy. Just come forward and stand in line and we will pray as a corporately, as one family. Thank you.